Today, we speak with homeopath Louise Bentley, who is the training manager at the Victorian College of Classical Homeopathy in Melbourne, Australia. And she's also a past president of the Australian Homeopathic Association. We featured her partner, Grant Bentley, on episode 55 of this podcast. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, it would be great to have a listen to that right after this, as the two episodes do tie in together. Louise and Grant developed the Homeopathic Facial Analysis System, or HFA. HFA is the analysis of facial features to find a patient's dominant miasm. Now, trying to explain miasm to somebody who is not trained in homeopathy can be very, very tricky, but I'm going to give you a very simple explanation. It is basically the predisposition to a particular type of disease or a set of diseases, which can either be inherited or acquired. So it's your, your basic susceptibility or your basic predisposition. For the practitioners listening to this episode and interested in training in this very effective prescribing method, please get in touch with Grant or Louise. And for any listeners who have perhaps seen a few different homeopaths without getting the results they'd hoped for, you may like to get a fresh look at your case from a practitioner using HFA. Either way, practitioner or patient, you can find more information at www.vcch.org, which stands for the Victorian College of Classical Homeopathy. So vcch.org. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we are speaking with homeopath and training manager at the Victorian College of Classical Homeopathy here in Australia, Louise Bentley. Welcome, Louise. Thanks very much, Eugenie. It's lovely to have you on the show today, and we have had your partner, Grant Bentley, on the show as well on episode 55. I wonder, can you tell our audience, Louise, how did you first get introduced to homeopathy? Oh, it was such a long time ago now. Back in the early 90s, possibly even the late 80s, I was working in a sort of generalized corporate area and somebody walked in and just said something about, I said I had hay fever and they said, have you tried homeopathy? I'd never heard of it, of course. Actually, that somebody turned out to be, I don't know if he's around, I'm going to say hi. Hi, Graham Gamow, if you're out there, because he, <laughs> he was linked to a college in South Australia for quite some time, um, and we're in Melbourne, of course. So we sort of all kind of linked to Australian homeopathy. Anyway, he got me onto it. I went and saw a homeopath. I got some nice results. I got interested, bought a few books. And then later on when that corporate area was sort of like so many things did in the early 90s, they were culling numbers, they were pulling back on everything. There were just redundancies going out left, right, center so I thought well I'm gonna put up my hand I'm gonna go and study homeopathy and um, there was a college in Melbourne there was a couple there actually there was a few choices at that time not like that anymore but um, and off I went and uh, I graduated in 1996 so this is you know 25 26 years or something to me now so it seems like it's been my whole life but not not quite (laughs) amazing and we had a chat before we started recording about you've been had visits to India and pretty much all over the world doing all sorts of things homeopathy and yeah yeah. (laughs) everything along the way yes we have traveled a bit yeah as part of the project that we started in 1999 I think when we first started probably just very late 98 but we always say 99 and like we were just discussing before There's so many methodologies in homeopathy, so many ways of finding that elusive remedy or a couple of remedies that's going to really resonate. Like I always say to students, just 
first aid's a category, acute contagious is a category, then you've got the acute flare, then you've got the chronic. But we're talking chronic here, and I think most homeopaths understand that chronic is where the most amazing work is done. It's the most challenging to find remedies. And by the end of the 90s, Grant and I were having a discussion, you know, as we often did, we talked homeopathy all the time (laughs) and about all these different methods and there was conflict. You know, one would say one thing, the other would say something opposite. It was terribly confusing. He had done many classes on the organon and taught, of course, Hahnemann's miasm method. And he was very much a fan of Hahnemann, as most homeopaths are and should be, and he decided he'd just go back to the basics. He just sort of felt he wanted to strip it back to the rawness of where it all began and just really test things out in the clinic to try and get what were okay results to to better, something a bit more consistent. And he stumbled across the facial features in three books, Alan, Roberts and Forbester, all made reference to the face in regard to myasms. Mm. And I remember thinking at the time, I remember thinking, oh, Grant, myasms of all things, the most boring part of homeopathy. (laughs) I I remember doing it, you know, we had to study it all and read the chronic diseases and everything. And I remember writing my year two assignment um, on myasms and sort of ending up going, well, you know, I don't know how to apply them clinically. Is it the chicken or the egg, you know, the egg or the chicken? It's all very confusing. And like I said to you, I did the course in, in India on myasms and generalised homeopathy as well. And there was some information in there that was helpful, but it was still like clinically, where does this take you? And you could see that nearly most homeopaths just ignored it. They just mm. like, just ignored it. Like, mm. let's just go for the essence. Let's go for the personality, the mind, the the deep psychological core of the person anyway grant's interested in faces he happened to have a pretty good photographic memory for faces and detail on the face so he started building a dossier of the patients that had done really well on polycrest that we could fairly safely say belonged to a miasm the three in particular were sulfur for sora Thuya for psychosis and mercury for syphilis. They were kind of like everybody, nobody would debate that. That's yeah, kind of yeah, a standard, a right? <laughs> so that was a good starting point. And he started to notice some crossovers, but there were still differences because we all have individual facial looks. Um, so it took me two, three years of experimentation. But the bottom line was as he started to see these um, features on the face more, he would choose the remedy that or remedies from the miasm that also repertrize. So it's not a direct face equals remedy. It's face plus totality. Mm. Face is the miasm. Totality is the miasm. Now let's choose the remedy. And the results started getting better. We were at a conference in Melbourne, I think it was 2002, back in the days. I was on the Australian Homeopathic Association for quite a few years. I was president there for a bit. And, you know, we're quite really involved in it all. And Grant was asked to speak and he got a really good reception. The audience were really interested. Someone said to him, would you like to come to Sydney and speak? You know, it was about a few months away and he said, oh, that'd be nice, you know. And then um, they said, have you got a book? And he went, 
no, but I can organise that. No, of course, he'd never written a book. <laughs> so that was that was the beginning of our venture in writing books. So I think we're up to about book number eight or something now. I don't oh, know wow. where we've done a lot. But when you've never written a book before, you have no idea what you're in for, and it's it's quite a lot of work. Anyway, we got to Sydney. The book was ready. It was printed. All good. So that was great. And that was a nice, you know, moderate sort of seminar because it was a new idea and people were a little hesitant about it to say the least. Mm-hmm. And anyway, funnily enough, this Russian doctor just popped into the seminar. She, I can't remember her name now. I'd know it if I saw it, but, you know, I'm in Russia in the bad books at the moment. But in those days it was all fine. And she popped in. She couldn't speak English with her translator. And she really just wanted to um, promote herself. She happened to be in Australia. Anyway, they kind of had a little discussion and she quite liked Grant's ideas. She was a psychologist as well. And she took his book back to Russia. And so that was kind of interesting because later on we got um, contacted by this rather large homeopathic institute in Russia run by this uh, neurosurgeon who was also a homeopath. We ended up going to Moscow three times, which was really cool. And doing Grant did most of it, but I'm always there in the background kind of helping with faces and questions and so forth and books and what have you. Mm-hmm. And anyway, yeah, so we got there. So that was kind of cool. And that started a bit of travel, like I think about a decade. We sort of went across Europe and we went to the US and Canada and we did India and Thailand and we went to Dubai and I can't, I mean, we went quite a lot of places and we spoke and met a lot of people, spoke to them about homeopathy, about what was then called, you know, finally got to be called HFA. Mm -hmm. We called it homeopathic facial analysis and that was fine, but it was a mouthful. So mm-hmm. we just started calling it HFA. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of sort of where it started. Yeah. Oh, well, Louise, you are a great storyteller. And I actually love that you have just put in all the tiny little bits of extra information about how it's all come about, because we didn't really cover that in Grant's episode. And we kind of just got more into the nuts and bolts of it. So I have really enjoyed you taking us on this little journey of how, you know, this has all come about. And as you're talking, I can just see you and Grant at a cafe like looking at people's faces and probably like analyzing remedies. Is it possible for you to ever go out of the house and not see remedies everywhere you go? (laughs) Well, as I say, it's not directly the remedy. So the way the system, the way it unfolded was we knew there were three primary miasms. Obviously Mm -hmm. Hahnemann had made that statement and Grant had a lot of faith in Hahnemann as we all should have, but he wasn't a hundred percent sure that this sort of pathological model was quite the way it should unfold in the clinic. And so he's always been open to questioning everything, not just taking things just because somebody said it, but to test it. You know, he's got quite a scientific mind. So he started testing this and then then there's the tubercular miasm. How does that fit in? And we're like, well, that's, you know, sore and syphilis joined. So then it was like in India they talked about the psychosora um, miasm and the psychosyphilis miasm, which they talk about in India, but not much elsewhere. But that seemed to make sense. If syphilis and sora can join, then why couldn't sora and psychosis and psychosis and syphilis? So, so there you've got six. And then everybody had been talking about this cancer miasm for quite a number of decades. I mean, even Donald Forbester mentioned it in the 50s. So then that made sense. Well, that's the triple miasm. And that was like, okay, well, there's a model. And that triangle that, you know, is on on the books, that Mm -hmm. sort of just, that was just a visual that we created because we needed to sort of have a feel for what are we talking about here. And then we just stopped. 
there's seven. Three primaries, three <laughs> duos, one trio. That's it. Just seven. It doesn't go anywhere else. It's That's it. And that's played out in the clinic for 20 years and mm. to the point where we believe there's universal principles behind that. Grant's written about that in Soul and Survival and talks about it in his book, How Aphorism 27 Changed the World. Mm. And it's just a, a principle. And then and the students got really interested. Other Some other homeopaths jumped on board. People started testing it. And then we found we could even teach the students more easily. We started dropping Materia Medica and just really focusing on repetrization and miasm. And so that if you could determine the dominant miasm of the patient, which one of those seven groups did they belong to? And then let's repetrize their case and look at the remedies in that repetrization that also belong to that miasm. So then we had to allocate, and Grant went through working with the traditional allocations but testing them as well. You know, there are some older books that say silica is in the tubercular miasm, da-da-da. Mm. Well, no, we, we see it in the cancer miasm or, or what we then called brown. And the story behind that is that a lot of the patients started to ask, well, why are you taking my photo? What's all this about? Some of them had been to homeopaths and other homeopaths did not do that. So yeah. They wanted to know, you know, what are we doing this for? And um, so then if their child or them, if that was they were the patient, you know, came out in the cancer miasm or the syphilitic miasm, it wasn't really nice to use those words, you know, mm. you're in the cancer miasm, you're in the mm. syphilis miasm, you know. Sora might be the one that nobody questions too much, but some of the others, even psychosis, you know, oh, because yeah. if, whenever if it's spelt pres- with a P. <laughs> yeah, it, whenever I prescribe the uh, psychotico uh, bowel nosode, you know, it's psycho. Like I always feel like I have to apologize and explain to this person why I'm giving them a remedy called psycho. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So we, we found that. And so we just started talking about, you know, even we were getting how kids were really fascinated. They were bringing home their school photos of their friends. What do you think about them and them? And we're looking at all these faces and then we realize we just cannot use these pathological names. We just have to drop this. Mm-hmm. And we chose colors. And um, we just thought that Sora was more about dryness. So we got yellow for the sun. Psychosis was more about inflammation. So it got red. And syphilis has that drawing in, a bit like water, you know, it sort of draws down. And so that got blue. And then it was just, you know, color matching from then on. The tubercular has to be green because it's yellow and blue, which is uh-huh. Sora and syphilis. The psychosora has to be orange because it's yellow and red. The psychosyphilis has to be purple. And then what was cancer going to be? Well, it got to be brown because, you know, you put it all together and it gets brown. And so that's, so now like we're just talking colours, you know, they're in the brown group, they're in the yellow group. What colour are they? And all the students, what colour, what colour? That's your core. You start there. What colour is my patient? What is their repetrization? And in their repetrization, which of the remedies that belong to that group, so say it's yellow or sora, sulphur, Pulsatilla like a podium coming up high. So you, you don't look at phosphorus, which is tubercular, or arsenicum, which is brown or cancer. You don't look at sepia. It might be repetrizing, but you know the face is telling you this patient is dominant in Sora. So they need a dominantly Soric remedy, but one that also repetrizes 
with the totality of their case. So it's a two-pronged thing that comes together, it merges together at the end. Um, so it's not just about, oh, look at a face, see a remedy. No, no, no. It's look at a face, see a miasm mm-hmm. or a colour group. And that's only front arm. We do profiles as well. So we have to see a person's side on. We have to see their ears, their hairline. You know, like I, I might look at you and I can see features on your face, right? I can yeah. see... I can see I can see the lines in your cheeks. <laughs> I can see the shape of your nose, your gums, your teeth, the size of your smile. You've got downturned eyes. Like that all rates to one of the three primary myasms. And then we kind of build a profile of your face. So we go through the hairline, the forehead, the the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the teeth, the chin, the ears, all the lines the bridge on profile, the, the chin on profile, the nose on profile, and we allocate the three primary miasms. So, for example, you have some red in your mouth, red being psychosis. So the gums showing is a dominantly psychotic feature, but your teeth have some blue, right? That's because they're a bit crooked. That's the syphilitic there. But uh, the and smile, that's for not wearing your retainer. I did have braces uh, as a child. So anyone listening out there, wear your retainers. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you know, some people have all that and their teeth still go back to where they were. Like that yeah. because it's, that's your energy. Your energy is in your facial structure. It's funny because I actually all think the Grant, energy. I think Grant said dimples are syphilitic from memory. Yeah, yes, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've also got multiple lines, so you've got a bit of a mix mm-hmm. going on there. And and I can see, you know, the shape of your smile, the size of your nose. Like there's different. There's I think we've rated around seventy five features, and wow, most people have somewhere. Yeah, it's quite a lot, but they're not hard to learn. It's just most of it's pretty straightforward, and and then. You, you know, they're all roughly one third. So a third of the features around 25 are blue or syphilitic, a third are red or psychotic, and a third are sore or yellow. And so you build these columns with the features and then you get the total at the end. So we started to do the face a little bit like a case where dominance mattered and then same with the repatriation. Mm-hmm. And all I can say is the results just got better and better. But oh, also... Amazing. And just with polycrests, we sort of like we really want remedies. You've got strong provings. They sit well in the repertory. They've got a lot of rubrics to represent them. And the really interesting thing about it is teaching it. We started to see that the graduates were just better homeopaths straight away. They were getting results as students that we didn't get that degree. Everybody gets good results, of course. Homeopathy is a wonderful system. But the consistency and the confidence was another thing that we, we really saw with that. So, so then, you know, about the politics in Australian homeopathy, it's been just pretty awful to work with. So I think we were one of the last private colleges that closed in 2008. There was no way we could keep going under the auspices of the whole, you know, what was essentially you had to operate like a university and have everything mm at that level it was way too expensive the students weren't going to pay for it so we pulled out of that but we went into online training and we started that in 2010 which was quite um progressive when Mm. I look back now I don't know if there are any other courses I don't think there were we may well have been the first online course in the world and we just got a lovely little run where people started talking about it um and we just got a I think we got students from like 20 or 25 countries which was really cool so we got all this networking you know all through Europe and you know Mexico and the US and Canada and mm-hmm. India and and Pakistan and just just all over you know and obviously in Australia and New Zealand etc so we started really 
networking with people, talking to people. We met them when we travelled as well, taught them online. And then, you know, really that really kicked off. That was really good. And we've kept the online college ever since and that's still there and there's some great courses to do there. And then Grant really started going back to clinic. Like he'd been in clinic all the way through, of course, but you know what it's like when you're doing clinic and you're doing training or you're doing podcasting or whatever, there's a lot going on and you have to divvy your time up Mm. and still have some rest and some family time. And so, yeah, he's really got into the clinic in a big way in the last, I don't know, probably eight years or so. And a lot of patients from around the world because because of the travel, we met a lot of people, so they made referrals and there's just, it's very dynamic and vibrant. But funnily enough, he started, was he treating pandas cases probably, I don't know, at least 10 years ago now. And without really knowing a lot about pandas, not even thinking about it, because you know what it's like, you're a homeopath. Every case has a totality. Mm. Every case has, well, for us, a miasm via the face and the pathology is important, but if we can treat the person correctly and get their energy right, the pathology will sort itself out more or less along mm-hmm. the way. Um, and so he did just do some really good results with some pandas kids. And then unbeknownst to us, I remember asking a colleague in the US, I'm saying, we're just getting a lot of bookings from the US. It's really strange. I don't know why. We don't advertise or anything like that. And she said, oh, I think I know. Somebody started a, a pandas group and they're talking about Grant and the methodology. I'm like, oh, okay. Anyway, so then he got a flood of pandas cases, which the, they're all kind of similar in a way. It makes finding a remedy quite tricky. So the face has just been beautiful because you could work out the miasm. They would send photos and then do a totality repertorization and really start to get remedies that resonate deeply Mm. to that patient so then he again wrote another book on that and Mm -hmm. that's the pandas book and so the pandas has been really interesting because it's been really quite tragic seeing these children that yeah I have somebody very close to me where the child has pandas and the mum refuses to use natural medicine and every time I see this child my heart breaks because every time I see her she is worse and worse and worse and the mum just refuses to look at natural options and keeps drugging this child. And, you know, it's just, it's so heartbreaking to see. So let's take a quick break and we'll be back in one minute. And just for our um, listeners as well. So I'm sure most of you have heard of PANS or PANDAS, but it stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infections or just um, PANS, which doesn't have the streptococcal uh, association with it. But we're seeing that more and more, all these kiddies with uh, tick disorders and um, all sorts of issues due to, you know, overuse of antibiotics and just their guts being all out of alignment and so much antibiotics um, at misuse, which was absolutely the case of this little girl that I know about where, you know, they are given antihistamines on a Friday night so they'd sleep better so the parents can, you know, drink and (laughs) they would be given antibiotics for absolutely everything. So their guts are completely destroyed. So it's not really a surprise that this has then resulted from that, but it's definitely something that we're seeing a lot in clinic and I really hope it's something that we can, you know, we can really help with. So that's amazing that he Mm. was able to make such a huge. Yeah, um, he's been able to make a massive difference with mm. a lot of these children. I mean, there are variations. There are severely autistic or speak more retarded, but, and you can still do amazing things. But, you know, when someone's got 
a full-on from birth brain mm. uh, damage as such. There, you know, you are more limited with affecting that. Although mm. I did do a case which which is in the course, an amazing case. You said you wanted to know about a case. This is yeah. the most amazing case I've ever done. And I think I presented it at the Homeo Summit, which was in the US this year, April this year, Homeo Summit, yeah. And Anna it's also Yes, Dr. Anna, Dr. Anna Hay Jackson. Yes, yeah. she yes, was on the podcast Anna as Hay, well. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I've done a course with her as well. I've presented a course for her, um, CE naturopathic, so on HFA and how to use it and so forth. But um, yeah, this case was incredible. This child was um, just over one and had been born very premature, but then at I think around three weeks of age had a, a severe stroke and it was misdiagnosed and oh. the brain got flooded with blood and destroyed and basically put in, in a coma mm. survived but didn't come to homeopathy until about 13 months old but the changes under the homeopathic remedy were unbelievably positive like it really it's an amazing case and because he had a beautiful little face and we could miasmatically work out his miasm we only worked with remedies in that miasm and it made a huge difference to him yeah, in, including some some miracle moments where really even his neurological surgeon couldn't believe the growth in his brain was extraordinary, all under homeopathy. So that's the case that's um, in our advanced practitioner course, which um, is, is one of the most incredible cases we've ever seen or dealt with ourselves. I mean, this is the thing. People say, how much can homeopathy do? And you go, mm. well, you don't know, but it's worth a try because sometimes it can do moderately good. Other times, to such a degree, it's astounding how far it can go. But yeah, you've got often, to get the right remedy. I often think us homeopaths are actually some of the biggest skeptics out there because so often we will treat a case and not think that there's so much that homeopathy can do and we'll think, okay, we'll take it on. We'll see what it can do. But even our minds are often blown by the extent that homeopathy can help someone, you know, sometimes. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. Whenever people ask me, can homeopathy help? Uh, all I say is, you know, all we can do is try, give it a go. You never yeah. know, you know, what amazing miracles you might see. Was this little boy on pharmaceutical medication alongside the homeopathic? At that point, no, that they, as a family, were fairly natural in their outlook and he was on epileptic seizure drugs for a while, which they took him off. But but under the remedy, you know, seizures stopped, the his cognitive behaviour improved quite mm-hmm. dramatically um, and he grew back brain tissue. So, you know, at a level that was just completely unexpected, extraordinary mm-hmm. stuff, all shown with scans and everything. So, um, yeah, that's that's been the most miraculous mm-hmm. case. But, you know, they're all miracles. And for these pandas families, having that child calm down, that their nervous system is calm, their immune mm-hmm. system is calm, they're not so sensitive. It's not just strep, it's any virus or bacteria that's in there, you know, they are just sensitive to everything. Mm. And to see those changes is, can be, you know, like it's quite miraculous. And people are really lucky if they can um, come get across a, to a good homeopath who knows what to do mm. and can give them the results. Like they're, they're it's because there's nowhere near enough of us. That's mm. the reality. So, and with all the propaganda against homeopathy, and everybody within homeopathy being a bit personally pushy on their own method, including me. I'm really pushy on this method. <laughs> I admit it freely. I've tried many other methods for about 10 years, which is a reasonable mm-hmm. amount of time. And I love this. I love teaching it because I can take people through to being really competent really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I love seeing those quick outcomes. We're getting around 
I mean, and it varies because it depends what case is coming through. But generally between one to four remedies, around 70 to 80% of people are getting from a moderate to a quite good response, which is wow. pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and even to try and keep up with the pace of the clinic because it's really almost too busy because people have to wait quite a while to get in. So we've got a system going now where that they get their first remedy chosen for them just based on photos and a health performer, so not even an interview, which is pretty good. And even wow. that's, getting, that's getting around 50%. 50% of people who just get the first remedy sh- chosen for them are photos and a health performer, which is a proper top-to-toe performer, like it's mm. asking a lot of questions. It's about five pages to fill out are getting about 50%, oh, it varies sometimes, it'll be 40, sometimes it'll be more, but on average about 50% are getting from a moderate to quite a good response on remedy number one, which is extraordinary. But the reason that is is because we've spent 20 years on the face and we're much better at it now than what we were because, I mean, you've got nobody to teach you, you're just experimenting all the Mm. time. And although... Roberts did his bit and Alan and Forbester, they, they did not put HFA together. They, they only made observations and this is a full system mm. and there's no doubt it works. Mm. And yeah, it's very exciting actually. Um, because now I think I said to you, I'm happy to talk a little bit about the environment and yeah, the, rela- the relationship. Yeah. Mm. The relationship between patients and their environment and that's what we're starting to find we're getting the best rubrics and it's so much easier so for example um so i'll I'll just get back to the environment like a little bit as a prelude to this discussion so back in around 2000 and i'm gonna say four or five i can't remember exactly now in the class we'd have a lot of discussions about miasms and people in the clinic and the student clinic and all the things going on and there was this sense that there was something driving each of those miasms. And it was pretty obvious with Sora that it was what we termed outward motion, like so kind of whoosh, you know, like a a volcano full of sulfur goes up and out like that. And that syphilis goes inward. You know, we know all about syphilis going inward. So we could see, okay, one goes outward, one goes inward, but we, we couldn't quite work out psychosis. Psychosis was like a mystery. And it took nearly two years of a lot of discussion until it was Grant, of course, who kind of decided, I think it's this. And then once he said it, we all went, oh, of course. That it's got a sort of a neutral energy, but it's based around the circle. And the circle is the cycle, the cycle of the planets, the cycle of the earth, you know, everything goes in cycles and so forth. So then it just became really straightforward. There's three universal energies. We live in a 3D world. There's outward motion which is the motion of the sun, you know, the sun's rays come out toward us. There's inward motion, which is like gravity pulling everything back down. And then there's this circular motion that just goes around and around in these endless cycles. And that just really helped clarify everything. It was just like, you know, what do they call it, an aha moment or something. It just it was really, really clarifying and so those three energies sort of became the bedrock of the whole system. And so now we realize that they're the bedrock of everything, like we can start to read plants now from their structure. We've just started playing with that. Um, we're doing animal faces, good results. So it's just about there is something with material structure and energy that is related. Not a surprise given that a remedy 
is a material thing that is broken down and its energy is extracted. So there is a relationship between energy and structure. And we are structure. Our body is a structure. Um, it's a physical structure. It's an organic life structure. But at the mm-hmm. same token, it is a structure. And our faces are a mirror, a representation of the energy that's flowing within us. So if we can understand that dominant miasm from the face, then we're starting to really know the energy that's flowing through that person. So every remedy has the same thing. Every remedy has a dominant energy, one of those seven energies, every substance, every person, every everything. And so that became apparent even within the first decade. And Soul and Survival Grant put together because then we realized that the planet has time frames where Each of these seven energies is dominant for around 150 years and it starts to explain culture and why things change and how people's perception, like, you know, what we've been through the last couple of years has been an extraordinary thing but really could not have happened like that 150 years ago because the outlook of people was so completely different. Mm. And so, yeah, it's incredible the links. So when we bring this down to the clinic We've got a patient in front of us and first of all, we just take their case and we choose some really clear rubrics that represent them. So it might be as simple as, you know, they're they're worse for the wind, that always rattles them or they're they're very chilly, particularly at night or, you know, they perspire, particularly on the top of the head Mm. or the, the lower back or wherever it might be. Like there's just these kind of, generalized patterns that they present with, which maybe a lot of people present with, but their combination is different. Mm. It's a bit like the face. We've all got a mouth, nose, two eyes, but the shape and structure of each of those varies and then the Mm. whole face is different. It's you, as is the remedy you need. Um, And so when you you can take a person's case quite quite easily, you can take it in a very short amount of time, You don't need to know all the deep underlying sort of all those issues. You just need this lovely look at how they resonate to their environment, which essentially is just modality or general rubrics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you might, they might be a person that develops a lot of cysts. So you put in a cyst. Okay. That's a a generalized way their body tends to present. Mm. You know, they're, they're worse always at four o'clock in the afternoon or they have periodicity, or they have a craving for salt, or they have an aversion to dairy. You know, there's those sorts mm. of very general Bonninghausen-style rubrics. And then you just encapsulate that generalization and then link it to their dominant rubric, uh, sorry, dominant miasm. Mm. And now you've probably only got three or four remedies to choose from. And the likelihood of one of those being a bit of a bullseye is quite high. Mm. Um, sometimes not. And we've got strategies for when we have to just sort of hone down the repertorization to start to draw in smaller remedies. But most people will resonate pretty well off a polycrest. Which is nice to know. Yeah, absolutely. It, especially, you don't have to do thousands. Yeah, especially these days. I mean, I said to you before we start recording is I think the appeal of uh, HFA is just that these days it's just so overwhelming being a homeopath because there's so many different ways of prescribing and so many different remedies out there and it can be really overwhelming. So there's definitely a huge appeal 
with HFA because it's such a replicable system and, you know, it's got 20 years behind it now. And it certainly brings you back to basics. And I think especially for beginner homeopaths as well as anyone really, but it's, um, it would be a really good system to really get your teeth into it and start getting some good results and really get your confidence up as a prescriber before you, you know, go and play around with other things. If, if that so takes your fancy, <laughs> but uh, one of the, one of the homeopaths I interviewed, they were saying that a lot of these new remedies and, and things that we're doing is just for our, our own, you know, fancy sake for us homeopaths, just to keep us entertained. But at the end of the day, the polycrests, which are remedies that have been around for, you know, a couple of hundred years, we have loads of case studies on it and loads of materia medica and all that. They have stood the test of time. And uh, that that's why they're our polycrest because you know they've they've worked for so many you know a couple hundred years yeah so, and they're yeah. so well represented in oh, the repertory and you know once and here's the thing you think you know a remedy you think oh I know sulfur I know pulsatilla I know phosphorus mm. and yes you might know an aspect of it but when you look at say sulfur and I like to pick sulfur because I think it's the most represented mm. remedy in the repertory it's got um <laughs> it's got about <laughs> 30,000 rubrics, which is a lot. And the reality is, is most patients haven't got a lot of rubrics. They might have four, six, seven, eight, depends, might be a few more. So how many combinations in just sulfur are there when you're drawing on Mm 30,000? I know there's some duplication in there, but even if you drop back to 15,000 and you're only taking eight and you're combining you can have sulfur, you can have a chili sulfur, a hot sulfur, you can have a sulfur that's all bedraggled and like an eccentric sort of, you mm. know, person that has their, you know, junkyard in the back room, or they can be a meticulous business person. I remember we did this beautiful case on a little boy. He'd come from South America. He didn't speak very good English, but he was this incredible soccer player. And he was about 10 or 11. He had shocking migraines. And we were really, by then, we do this by the method. We just do the face mm-hmm. and we repertorize on his six or seven rubrics that come forward in the case. And his face was saying dominantly red, dominantly psychosis, and the top remedy coming through was sepia. Now, you know, everyone, oh, it's a woman's remedy and all this sort mm-hmm. of thing. Well, this little boy, this little soccer player, he did beautifully on sepia. Oh, wow. Got rid of his migraines in one week. Wow. You know, that sort of thing. And so we find the typecasting is unhelpful mm, because it, it actually, you think if you can take your ego out of this, just mm. take it out and just say, I have no idea what remedy this person needs. I don't know. In fact, you don't even know until after you've given it and it's worked because you could give a remedy that doesn't work and we do it all the time and it happens to all of us no matter what method. But if you've got a method where you can start to look at your results over the year and go, gee, the percentage has been pretty good. And so it's pretty common that we're running at a pretty solid 80%. If not more, it can go as high as 90. You'll always get people that don't respond. I don't know why. Who knows? There's just some small percentage of people around 10% that just whether it's you, you haven't, got the right remedy they're not quite telling you the information you want or maybe they're resistant I don't know what it is but however the majority do get a result and if they're prepared to give those four to six visits they should come out at about the six month mark considerably better than when they came in and for some it can be days or even a week and they can start getting really quick responses mm-hmm. others it's sort of slow and steady mm-hmm. so yeah it's really really nice to see nice yeah. to see and nice to teach as well yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. Louise for 
clients who want to uh, become patients, where do they go? And for the homeopaths who want to sign up to learn about HFA, where do they go? Well, our main, we've got a few websites. The most comprehensive one is the college website, which is vcch.org. We've actually had that site up now for 20 years, which is really, really cool. (laughs) Yeah, 2002, we put that site together and it's still exactly the same. It looks a little old fashioned, I have to say. And (laughs) we have some people said you should brush it up, but you know what? It's just, uh, it's just got a whole heap of information on it. So there's a consultation area, there's a books area, there's a course area. So you can read what you want there and sign up appropriately. Um, we're probably putting, we prefer more people do courses and learn how to do it themselves. Although we're, you know, it's always fine to book in as a patient, but we're at a point where we really want to teach more people how to do it because um, really you can, you don't even have to have a background in homeopathy. You can learn. We've got a very basic introduction to homeopathy course, and then you go straight into the practitioner course and pretty much everyone can follow it. And if you're prepared to take your photos and learn to do the face, you've just got 70% of your case sorted up front, just done. Just get the face right and then just repertorize. And that's not a hard process. You, you obviously need a good repertory software package. And then you just bring the two together and you should be able to get a remedy that starts to resonate within a few tries. And case management, another huge area that we've really come to understand the Case management's where the individuality really lies, mm-hmm. knowing when to repeat, knowing when to go up the potency, knowing when mm-hmm. to stop, um, knowing when to change the remedy. That's a big thing that is often a little neglected in mm-hmm. homeopathy. It's all about getting the first remedy. and then, But then what? Exactly. Life is about management. You know, nothing stays still. We, we constantly are interacting with our environment. Our environment might change. Our stresses mm-hmm. change. And you need the case management's a big deal. And so we put a fair degree of focus on that as well so that not only you can get a good start, but you can maintain it, mm-hmm. which is important. Yeah. You know, that first console, I, I just wish more people could understand that. I always say it's just you just throwing a little pebble in the pond and then seeing what ripples come out of that. But it's really those follow-ups that are actually the most important. Really, like that first one is just building the rapport, just getting to know the person. It's just that initial little introduction. And then after that is when you really get into the meat and bones and like the, the nitty gritty of it all. Then you could really refine your prescription. And it's so important for our homeopaths to know how to do that confidently, but also for our patients to know that those follow-ups are really important and to stick to them and make sure that you stick with your homeopath. I mean, give them at least six months. It, yeah, you can't expect yeah. to really uh, understand a person at their uh, deep core if you don't give that homeopath a chance to really get to know you and really get to help you. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah that's great. Well, look, that, that's absolutely true, depending on which, which methodology you use. And mm-hmm. all of them, you need a bit of time because you might not be seeing the whole case in a particular mm-hmm. way. There's different variations. Even with our methodology, the face, we may not get right the first time. We, we have fairly high hit rate, but Depending on the photos, there are variations with cameras and light and this, that and the other. So we give pretty good instructions there. But one of the nice things is we actually have been able to get results a little faster. And it's been noticeable that a number of patients that have come through that have seen quite a number of homeopaths. So they've really tried, you know, and they've given homeopathy a really good go. In Mm -hmm. fact, you could argue, why do you keep trying? You haven't had very good results to now. So, but they do, they 
maybe it's because they know there's not much else sometimes for some mm. problems. There really isn't. And uh, But, you know, we've had people with four, five, six, seven, eight different homeopaths they've tried prior. And fortunately for most, not all, but most, we've been able to get a result for them within a few goes because it was, you know, and it'll be something like they they were never given mercury. Mm. They were always given, you know, I don't know, all these different remedies that it looked like, but they're Mm. dominantly in the syphilitic group. They're Mm. what we would call the blue group and they need a blue remedy. Their Mm. face is telling us and nobody saw that because, they're not a classic mercury picture, right? Mm. So it still repertrizes if you care to repertrize it and it matches the miasm and it works beautifully. Mm. And so the face just, it's like a doorway into remedy potential and you don't have to feel you know the remedy. You don't have to worry about that aspect. You just repertrize and allow it to come to the top because you've done a good solid generals repertorization mm-hmm. and uh yeah no it's been really really nice to, to be part of it actually so well, yeah if people want to know more uh, have a look at vcch.org and feel free to contact us ask questions that's fine we mm-hmm. we're we're available for that and um we run a pretty tight ship and we we like to think that we provide a quality service so mm-hmm. we do our very best to help people yeah amazing well i hope a lot of people take you up on the offer because intuitively it just it does make a lot of sense to look at the face as a way of finding our answers because it just just so true you can I mean, I think all of us resonate with it to some point where you can look at a person's face that you've never met before and you can get a really good feel for that person just by looking at their facial features and the way that we, you know, the the dominant expressions and things that we have on our face does end up getting etched in over time, which, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's right there for everyone to see. So why not make use of this in homeopathy and, uh, it absolutely is prescribing. Mm. It, it really is. And it's the doorway to who we are. I mean, we recognize each other by our faces. We express through our faces. Most of our senses, our eyes, our ears, our nose, our mouth are, are in this area. Mm. And it's not, to, we've got tactile senses elsewhere, but the core senses are all here. This is the fullest expression of who we are. And if we can read that, if we can understand that, it just opens the case straight away. And the main thing it does is it filters out what we don't have to look at, Mm. okay? So, you know, it doesn't matter how great self was looking on the repertorization. If they're not dominantly psoric, we're not Mm. wasting our time on Mm. it. Good thing about that too is we get very low aggravations, because you, we're pretty sure the aggravations come from a remedy that's just in the wrong miasm for mm. that patient. So the, the flow of the way their defense mechanism works is not matching the remedy, even mm. if the totality is okay. Mm. And you can still get somewhere on totality without the miasm, but when you match the two together, just like mm. Hahnemann said, like he sort of knew, but for whatever reason he chose the pathologies and it just went off on a bit of a tangent. But everything he said is correct. Um, if you remove the pathological interpretation and just take it as directional force mm-hmm. um, and that the miasm isn't to be removed either. It's, it's part of, it's part of your, it's your defense mechanism. It's the blueprint of your defense mechanism, your nervous system, your emotional um, interpretations, your, um, do I say immune system, nervous mm-hmm. system, emotions, all of that, that is your defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. And you have a, a blueprint and it's one of those seven miasms is the blueprint. Mm-hmm. That's the blueprint. All yellow people have a yellow blueprint. They might need a different 
remedy within the yellow group dependent on their personality, their, their generals, how they react to the environment, et cetera. But the blueprint, you start to see similarities within the group across the seven. That's the book that Grant wrote, Soul and Survival, because he could see that fairly quickly. And that's interesting too. But in the end, it's the diagnostic of the face plus the repertorization that's the clinical, mm-hmm. the two clinical tools that just, it's like cutting through butter. You just sort of, you're there, you know where you Amazing. are. And it doesn't take very long after that. Yeah. So it's it's a very, um, yeah, I'm very proud that I've been part of it and happy to share it and keep sharing it. And so thank you yeah, for such well, a lovely you, opportunity. It's such a pleasure. I mean, you absolutely know what you're talking about and you can see the passion oozing out of you. And uh, it's uh, <laughs> whenever somebody can be excite- this excited about something, 20 years down the track, you know, they're onto a good thing. <laughs> so thank oh, you. I'd like to think so. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for your time today, Louise. I really appreciate it. And um, I know that you've got to get a lot of people getting in touch with you because this is something that sounds incredibly valuable. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you it's for having me on. It's a pleasure.